Blog Talk Radio. Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Hi, this is Kathy Barrett. Welcome to Behind the Curtain, a show about life that features stories about ordinary people who choose to be extraordinary. I bring these stories to you in the hope that you will catch a glimpse of yourself in these remarkable people featured on the show, and you too will become inspired to be extraordinary yourself. And thanks for tuning in. Our esteemed guest, On the program today is Ron Buford. He's the pastor of the Congregational Church in Sunnyvale, California. Pastor Ron is also the founder of Racists Anonymous, a program that began in 2015 to end racism and is based on the very successful Alcoholic Anonymous 12-step model. We remove the problem afflicting us one person at a time, beginning with ourselves. You can go to www.uccsunnyvale, that's S-U-N-N-Y-V-A-L-E dot org, for more information about the Congregational Church and Pastor Ron. And for Racists International, go to rainternational.org for information on Racists Anonymous. Welcome, Pastor Ron. It's an honor to have you on the program today. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm deeply honored. Let's start out. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to create Racist Anonymous. In my work at the time when I was doing some work for our denomination, the United Church of Christ, um, we were doing some work on the subject of racism, and we were having these sacred conversations on race, they were called. But at the end, I kept thinking, you know, uh, the the white people leave these sessions feeling guilty, and the people of color uh, leave these sessions feeling angry, and I thought, thank you, something. And while I was thinking about that, I, I managed to go do some work in London for a while. And while there, it struck me that something was different because I felt like I was on a race vacation. I, the things that <laughs> happened to me in the States weren't happening to me uh, in London. And I thought, well, maybe they're just more advanced than we are. But I kept watching and I noticed that it wasn't that they didn't have the same issues but they weren't directed toward me as an American. They were happening toward people from the Caribbean and from the African continent and so forth. And, but also one group I didn't expect, it was happening with people from Eastern Europe. And it predated Brexit. So when Brexit came along, I wasn't um, so surprised. And um, the more I thought about it and traveling, I thought maybe racism is more like an addiction and it is more universal and more uh, broadly um, um, a problem. And, and then uh, when we had a, when I got 
to the church I'm at now as pastor. Uh, mm-hmm. There was an AA group met in the room next to my office. And so I was in the meeting <laughs> because when you've got 50 to 80 people in the room next to you, you're in the meeting too. So um, I was listening to them, and the more I listened, I thought, yeah, yeah, maybe racism is more like an addiction. And so we looked into the 12 steps and tried to see if they could fit uh, and apply to our dealing with ending the racism in ourselves. And that's how we got to doing the 12-step program for racism. It's brilliant. It really is. because, And it's so simple. I really admire you for making that connection because I think that your program is incredibly helpful. And before I get into my own personal experience of uh, what that was, let's just share with the listeners, take us through the steps of how it works. So if I want to attend a meeting, what do I do? Well, one of the things that we've done is uh, one of the members has set up on meetup meetings or a list of meetings so that people can find them wherever they are, or they can go to rainternational.org and there find uh, a link to locate meetings. And we're beginning to find people who, a lot of whom are people who are in 12-step programs who have thought about this idea. They thought, you know, there ought to be a 12-step program for racism. So then they go look for it, and there we are. (laughs) So that's starting some interest in that way. So people then find us, and uh, we have an introductory meeting, first of all, that we invite people to so they can see how the whole thing fits together. And then they're eligible to go to a regular meeting, and uh, that's how it functions. Say I go to the introductory meeting, and then... I want to start a meeting in my own area after a certain amount of time. What's the process for doing that? It's simple. Um, We just uh, work with you um, to set up a meeting. We ask people if they've got three or four people to start with. That's enough. Um, And um, we give them a script and ask them to use the basic script and um, they can run a meeting. And we prove that people can run a meeting because in the introductory session, we ask people to follow the script and or to use the script, actually, to lead a meeting the very first time they come. So it, it works out pretty easily. Normally, would you say the majority of how people come to you, is it through religious-based groups, uh, churches, Uh, contacting you, or is it more individuals, like you say, people already in existing 12-step programs that learn about it, and then naturally it's a a natural extension, if you will, to go there? Well, you know, it started out, because we're a church, um, it started out with people coming uh, through other sister churches who would hear we were doing something like that, and they would say, well, we, we would like to try that out for a certain period of time. But as people from 12-step programs started to read about it and hear about it, we started getting more 12-steppers 
uh, into the program because of the subject of racism and this problem being in the news and people realizing that uh, the 12-step program makes an incredible amount of sense when it comes to racism. It's interesting with all the protesting that's going on and, and the Black Lives Matter movement, the murders that have been occurring, uh, especially the George Floyd murder, it was such a horrible, horrible death and yet awakened, I think, a large part of white America. The young lady who filmed the way the police were handling Mr. Floyd, Daniela Frazier, her name is, I give her so much credit, not only for her courage, but for the fact that she just started filming it because of the injustice. It was so clear. It was so obvious and impossible to ignore, regardless of what race you were or where you came from. It was impossible to ignore that Mr. Floyd was murdered because he was not valued as a human being because of the color of his skin. And he's not the only one that this has happened to. But I think that there's so much denial in white America because of the fact that our country was built on systemic racism, you know, based on that. Being white, you're you're receiving the benefits of this systemic racism. And so it's very, very easy for people to say, well, I'm not a racist. You know, I'm not a KKK person or part of a white supremacy group. So they disassociate themselves from the word, jump into this denial, don't look at their own biases. And because of the fact that they're getting receiving benefits because of the color of their skin, as opposed to being oppressed and abused and murdered and persecuted for the color of their skin. So it's it's a very complicated situation. The fact that this young woman had the courage to film what was going on really made it impossible, no matter how much denial you were in, to turn away from the facts. So uh, unfortunately, a man had to lose his life in the process for us to wake up. I'm very grateful to him to his family, to all the people that fought so hard to raise the level of awareness for everyone else when they didn't have to. I mean, it's already you're you're having to do more work to raise the awareness of people who are persecuting you. It just it it doesn't make any sense in the real world, but yet that is what is happening. No, I I celebrate Daniela Frazier, too, because uh, we are in such denial. And the first step is that you have to admit that you have a problem. And that's something that I believe that in this country we have not done. We have not admitted that we have a problem with race. And yet we all know it's true. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, though people are, are willing to say if I, you know, perhaps if I donned a a Ku Klux Klan outfit, I I would be a person who had a problem with race. Well, long before you put on that outfit, you have a problem with race. Uh, uh, we all have a problem with race, black, white, whatever. And I think that this program is designed to help us all be in touch with, first of all, that very fact 
that we have a problem in this country with race, all of us. Yeah, I think that is a good beginning. And and I understand the argument on the other side of that, too, because if this has been going on, obviously, for 400 years, it's really something, when I think about it, how much in, uh, in denial we really are. I mean, we fought a civil war over this, freed the slaves, right, then continued to terrorize uh, people of color with Jim Crow laws and the lynching, lynchings and the murders and the suppression of the vote. And then here comes the civil rights movement, and we achieved some really great things, you know, voting rights and integration of schools and terminals and interstates, and yet we're still discriminating with the policies and the practices of our banks and universities and companies and government agencies and law enforcement and even our Supreme Court. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham says there is no such thing as systemic racism in America. I mean, he must believe we're either blind or stupid, but as a nation, when our decision makers are shaped by a narrative that is racially biased and built on lies, it's just, you know, we have to change that too. It has to start at the voting booth and it already has begun. I mean, look what happened in uh, Georgia, but now Here's that other side that refuses to give up the power, that refuses to acknowledge that racism exists, you know, doing everything they can to disrupt our freedom to vote, especially for people of color. We, we really, really, really do have a lot of work to do. But as you say, I tend to think of the big picture myself and get very overwhelmed with how are we going to change this? How are we going to change that? And I think a lot of people feel that way and then do nothing. And that's the problem. Each of us, I feel, really have to take personal responsibility, but especially white people. I think we have to take personal responsibility and in ending racism. There is no reason why we can't. Even if somebody joins a meeting, as you say, even if we start with ourselves and that starts reverberating out into the world, there will be changes automatically. That's how it happens. I guess what I want to, what I'm trying to get to here is that even if Racist Anonymous is the, as successful as Alcoholics Anonymous and it goes all over the world globally, how do you think we can heal the sins of these 400 years? Well, I, I believe you know, as a Christian and as a minister, um, I believe in repentance. And repentance really means uh, to walk in a new direction. You know, you're going one way and you turn around and go the other way. And the other piece that is part of repentance is often that really make that turnaround without the help of a higher power that I call God, but people call by different names, and we really need that. So there, there has to be uh, a turnaround. Now, one of the things that I believed in structuring Racist Anonymous is that some of our problem with racism is almost anthropological, that we have this thing about dominance and... Um, we have looked at external differences as a way of determining who is going to be dominant. And it seems to be um, a trait that happens all over the world. And 
if we can be more conscious about the ways we do that, I think we can uh, reduce our practice, our action, the way we behave toward our neighbors and friends and even family on the basis of exterior differences. And, well, that's a good point, actually. I will say I was raised a Catholic. I don't consider myself a religious person, but more of a spiritual kind of person. Um, I guess if I lived in Sunnyvale, California, I would be going to your church, but I wouldn't attend any other one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, I, I tend to believe in the best parts of all religions. I kind of like, you know, we'll pick things from each one. I believe in God. I believe in a higher power, whatever you want to, however you want to name it, and being the best possible version of myself that I can be, which I'm not always successful at but I'm always trying and that is coming from a place of love you know love for oneself and because you're treating yourself with that kind of love then it it kind of filters out to everyone else that you come in contact with how does racist anonymous program do you feel get people to realize that how racism is so multi-layered and and like you say it's it's going way way back and um not just cross-burning, hood-wearing individuals, but racism is in all of us. It's in grandma, it's in the store clerk, it's the teacher, the doctor, the judge. How does the program turn denial into a pathway for self-reflection? Well, I think uh, through conversations, when people get together in these settings, the groups of, you know, whether it's 10, 12, or 20 Um, And we sit together and week after week, someone will bring a topic for discussion and we will discuss it. And in the process, people in meetings share about their racism. We do not come to Racist Anonymous to solve other people's problems. Mm. We come to Racist Anonymous to deal with our own. So first of all, um, when people come to, just as you see sometimes in spoofs of Alcoholics Anonymous, where they stand up and they say, hi, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic. Well, we do the same thing in Racist Anonymous. We say, hi. I say, my name's Ron, and I'm a racist. And when people first come, everybody is not comfortable saying they're a racist. But almost none of the people who come are hardcore races. Mm-hmm. But what we do realize is that over time through our discussion, we realize that we are people biased against other people based on exterior differences, not just race, sex, sexuality, size, ability, mm-hmm. um, you name economic status, All of these things are ways that we as human persons separate ourselves and feel that we have advantage over another. And when you uh, go to a meeting once a week that focuses on this, it's amazing what you see in yourself after you leave. Um, I, for example, living in a community after I attend, even though I had the idea to to, to start this meeting, it it really was interesting what happened to me driving around and and being my normal self and 
and having thoughts that I recognized as not being good. <laughs> uh, I said, Rob, you for your race, you know? Uh, yeah. So it's it's great to have those kinds of, um, what's the word, epiphanies? I went to one of your introductory meetings first, and I plan on attending more meetings, regular meetings. And I'm a perfect example, really, of someone who didn't consider themselves to be a racist before attending the meeting. And But I'm like, you know what, I, I go for it. I'm like, well, I'm here, and I'm a racist. And I had discomfort saying it, but I'm an open person, and I'm like, I'm just going to go with this because my gut tells me it's the right thing to do. And being white and being raised to view things through this lens in society that has based really on systemic racism. I rebelled against it as a young girl and went against my own family because of their views on race. I, what I recognized is that I am an enabler for not taking more action to end it through the years. I wrote a, a screenplay a long time ago, actually it was about 30 years ago, about the first African-American to be president of the United States. And it was based, ironically, the exact year that Obama was elected president, President Obama. Wow. And it was really something. So I know that this story kind of came through me. And I, at this time, I was doing a lot of research on racism. And I used to criticize German people all the time, like, how could regular German people stand by and allow the Holocaust to happen? And then, you know, I realized that white people really are guilty of the same crime, you know, except for we stretched it out over 400 years, but we're guilty of the same crime. And, you know, I came away from your introductory meeting asking myself, you know, what role do you do I play in the structure of systemic racism? How do I end it? And how do I do more to raise the awareness about the issue and inspire others to do the same and keep constantly, you know, looking at myself and, uh, and my thoughts. And one of the other things I realized, you know, my husband and I are, you know, we're artists. We lived in New York City, and several years ago, we decided to move, and I was addicted to New York City. We both were, but uh, we had an opportunity to get out after we sold our, our apartment, and we both can work from wherever we are, and I, I looked around, and we wanted to move up to the mountains and be near nature after living in the city, and then, you know, I never thought about but as I look around in my community, it's mostly white, right? So I didn't purposely, you know, say, okay, I'm going to move to an area that's mostly white. But it made me think, you know, going to the meeting made me think about whether or not we segregated ourselves subconsciously, right? You know, based on the programming. And even though we wanted to be near artists and other musicians and around nature, I know that that had to play some kind of role in it, even subconsciously. So guess the thing is that we're also combating here, even if have a person that goes and says, you know what, I, I, I was raised, you know, my parents used to say this and they taught me this, so whatever the situation is, that this racism, the systemic racism has been in place from really the beginning of our history before any of us existed right now. But we are still contaminated really by the intolerance that we have tolerated 
you know, the racial intolerance that we have tolerated. And it's, it's in our programming, no matter how we wish to try to deny it. So I think the second part to overcome here is shame for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. At least in Germany, the people came together and they said, no, this can never happen again. You know, they took the concentration camps and made museums out of them and they bring their students to these museums. And I remember um, going there to, to Dachau a few years ago and my, my husband is Jewish, as I mentioned, and uh, my mother-in-law was saying, you know, you're on vacation in Germany. Who goes to a concentration camp? And I remember saying to her, Myra, everyone on the planet should have to go to a concentration camp museum and just spend an afternoon there. It's the same thing with the lynching museum that was just opened a few months ago. I mean, until you go there and you really experience the whole history of it and you, you, you're on the premises, really feel the horror of it. But I know that when I walked out of that uh, concentration camp museum, I couldn't get out of bed for two days because you literally could feel, you know, the energy of what happened in this place. And I think it's so important for everyone to go and stop and pause and look at all of the horrors that human beings have created, you know, all, you know, all, all, not just the Holocaust and uh, the lynching museum, but all of the horrors that human beings created. have put upon others and really experience it and, and make a promise, you know, never to let these things happen again. And it, ha- it, it just, it, it has to stop now. But I got all of that out of an introductory meeting. I just want you to know that. <laughs> so. Well, you know, when I, one of the things I admire about my Jewish friends who say never again mm. and as a community, they seem committed to that. Uh, and I think the same way uh, as an African-American person, that we have to say never again. Um, and the whole world needs to say that. And even though we seem to tolerate um, the cleansing and this kind of behavior in other places in the world, we need to come to a place of intolerance of that kind of treatment of human persons all over the world. Um, And um, part of saying never again, I believe, has to be not just external, saying that we will stop other people from doing such horrific acts, but they start with small things, and they start with us. And the reason people tolerate such horrific, unspeakable acts is is we begin to tolerate them in our hearts and minds on a day-to-day basis. And uh, I think if we can be more mindful of that, it will increase our intolerance for treating other people differently on the basis of external difference. It's really a rather silly thing when you think of it. You know, in terms of, of... of social development that here we are we can put a man on the moon and and we 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 put a uh something on mars and we're still segregating ourselves based on external differences 
I believe yeah. that the advancement of, of civilization is hindered by the fact that we literally are throwing away some of our best resources because we decide that that person is not worthy. And I don't believe that if you look at natural selection and the development of human persons in the world, that that's the ideal way for um, humanity to progress. I agree with you. And, you know, as a, as a nation, it's like, you know, I look at our country right now and I see a lot of greed. I see a lot of selfishness. I mean, you know, look at what's happening in terms of the difference in, 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 in wealth right now, which is really sinful to me. And, you know, I look at that and I'm like, I don't get it. Just don't get it. Everyone wants to have more money and more material things. Maybe not everyone, but most people, let's say. How many homes can you have and visit? How many, how many different bathrooms do you need to have gold-plated? You know, all this crazy stuff that we're seeing, you know, which is really what's happening right now, I think, in our country. It's like money has become, in a sense, for many, not all, the new God. That's what's being worshipped is, you know, how much money we have, how much power we have. And yet, even though that's achieved, if you look, and I'm not going to mention their names, but all you have to do is pick up a paper to see, to recognize or realize who I'm talking about. With all this money and with all this power, there is, they're not fulfilled they're doing unspeakable, ungodly acts to other people, as we talked about. And so it's, you know, that's not where the answer is. You know, that's not uh, what's going to make us um, a greater country. And we are declining, I feel, at a very rapid uh, rate unless we change something, not just in this country, humanity in general. We're not going to be able to save the oceans, you know, if corporations want to keep dumping in them and our governments are going to let them get away with it because they fund their political campaigns. Just as you say, stop, take responsibility for oneself of who we are, who we're being in the world, where we need to improve and take some action doing things that can help other people. All I can do is change myself, as they say, and your program says, just work on yourself and let's see what happens from there, which I, I loved reading on your website. So can you share with us, after talking about all these negative things, which I apologize ranting about, can you share one of the more inspiring transformations or stories you've witnessed happening in the program through the years? Well, yeah, I, I think the, the most uh, exciting thing for me, I think this is more general than specific, is that Generally, when you start a group, I'd say about half the people are willing to say they're a racist and the other half are not. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most exciting things is that over a period of three, six weeks, somewhere in there, everybody ends up say, being willing to say, I'm a racist. Mm-hmm. Um, because that kind of, we want people to be thoughtful, not just uh, doing it because they feel pressured to do it, because we don't want anyone to feel pressured to say that. 
Um, we want people to come to the meeting and just reflect honestly. Right. Uh, occasionally we get somebody who says, no, I just, I still don't see it. And it's not me. Uh, and that's often, <laughs> that's generally someone who is more people would think of as being a racist than right. not. Uh, not all the time, but um, quite often um, that's someone who really is afraid to look at the fact that they might be racist in some ways, which we all are. You know. Yeah, there's a lot of fear associated with it, a lot of shame associated with it. I mean, that's that's kind of what I walked away with, too, is re- recognizing how much shame I carry, you know, from, uh, you know, as a young girl, just not only was I kind of rebelling against it, I wanted to play with who I wanted to play with. I wanted to um, actually, you know, I had... Uh, I had I was told I you know I couldn't bring my black girlfriend home. I was told I also had two Jewish uh friends. They were sisters and I was in Catholic school at the time and I was so petrified because we were being taught um you know if you don't get baptized you're going straight to hell. Okay? And so these were my best and dearest friends, these two sisters. And I took them down my basement, I must have been seven, and uh, I baptized them to the horror of their parents. <laughs> oh, that's cute. But, you know, I'm, I, I was really, you know, I couldn't imagine going to heaven and not having them in my life. And, um, but, you know, the, the sad thing was that they weren't, you know, I, was for, I wasn't allowed to play with them anymore. Right, their parents were pretty upset over it. And now, looking back, I understand. <laughs> I understand why. Why? But that's that's what happens in terms of some of the teachings that are out there. You know, it's like it's difficult to say. I know everybody says it's it's wrong to say we are all one because we're not. We're all different, and our differences and are what makes us unique and special and interesting. And the thing we have to get over is, you know, talking about we're all going to be equal or we're all going to be one and just recognize the beauty in each other and not see it as a threat, have power over. And I think that your program is such a brilliant, brilliant, simplified way of dealing with some of the ugliest parts of humanity uh, that, you know, we all carry. I can't praise you or thank you enough for having the idea to come up with it and then getting into action and real, having it realized for other people. Pastor Ron, I think it's sensational. So I'm on board. I will attend the meetings and really with the goal to start something here, Woodstock, that's my goal, take action and start you know, to do something here. I thank you for it because I realized out of the the commonly held perceptions of, of racism, I don't know, see if you can add to these, but those who love being racist and do everything in their power to sustain uh, having power over another race, then there are those who don't think it's a problem and do nothing uh, to change it. Uh, the third being those 
who do think it is a problem but don't do anything to change it, and then those who know it is a problem and are actively actively involved in changing it. So I think I'm between step three and step four, you know, over here. Not that it's one of your 12 steps to just uh, try to do what I can to become, as I said, the best possible person I can be and and, uh, do something to, to make this area more integrated. Thank you for your support and, and uh, support of the idea. Um, you know, the, the, the theological piece for me that underpins at least my thinking in this is the belief that uh, creation was never finished. Uh, it's still in progress. Uh, sometimes my atheist or agnostic friends say, if, if there's a God, why is there still death and racism and all these ugly things still in the world? And, and I say because, because creation isn't finished. Our work isn't done. Uh, we are to be God's helpers in perfecting creation. And uh, part of it is our work to end this kind of attention to external difference that actually induces the full participants in finishing God's creation, which I believe uh, God designed it to be completed through human participation and cooperation. And the more we do to keep each other separate and fighting and at odds, um, the longer it will take. Um, So... I'd like to see us come to this party and say, let's finish creation. Let's make it perfect. I love that. I really love that. Thank you for sharing that. And it's true. You know, it's like we are works in progress, right, as they say. Anything else I haven't, we haven't talked about that you would, you would like to discuss or, or share with the listeners? Well, just one other thing. I, one of the surprises that came for me in the last few months has been a group in Africa that has started uh, a meeting um, because uh, their issue is tribalism. And uh, so um, I, I think that's really proving the point that for us, Racist Anonymous isn't just about black, white. It's, it's about external difference and difference in practices that cause us to separate ourselves one from the other. And uh, I I see it as um, uh, a call to the world to uh, be one. I love that. I love that. And I love that you're doing it in Africa. Any place else internationally yet that Um, is doing the program? There were some groups that started in London and in a Scandinavian country and in Canada. Um, they ended up kind of doing their own thing rather than um, hanging with us, but uh, it was good to know. Um, Der Spiegel did a piece about it, and um, uh, the BBC did a piece about it, Um, and so it generated interest in those places. That's great. Well, I know I've gone longer than I, I said I would. I screwed up the time with you. <laughs> so 
I am terribly, terribly sorry. And uh, um, listen, I also, and I, I do this a lot because uh, I've learned that it's necessary, but I really want to apologize to every person of color out there that has struggled with oppression and discrimination and, um, as a white person in America, and I do carry shame about it, and I do carry a lot of anger about it. I just want to thank you for creating the Racist Anonymous program and for raising not only my awareness, but our awareness about how simple it can be to end racism if we take responsibility for ourselves. I admire your strength and dedication to make a difference, and I'm so grateful to you for dedicating your life to making this world a better place for all of us, Pastor Ron. Oh, bless you. Bless you, and thank you for having me. You you are just so wonderful. I I thank you so much for coming on, and, and we hope you'll come back and visit us, and we'll have more discussions about it, which I feel is needed, because that's the thing. You know, we don't talk about this enough, you know, and, well, so promise me you'll come back, because I do want to also commit to doing a lot of shows about the issues and and hoping to engage people of different races, different cultures, different religions to keep talking about this and to keep doing something about making us all one, as you say, finishing creation and making it perfect. So you can find out more information by going to, uh, where is the website, rainternational.org, and it's, uh, is it casunnyvale.org? for the church? Yes, Sunnyvale, California. Sunnyvalecalifornia.org. You can also find out more information about myself and the show, and I will also have information about Pastor Ron and Racist Anonymous by going to the show's website at gobehindthecurtain.com. Word of mouth is how we promote this show, so you can make a difference in the lives of others if you share our link. I promise to continue to bring you inspiring guests and stories so that wherever you are along your own personal journey, you will never feel alone again. Sign up for an RA meeting today, rainternational.org, and I'll end with how the AA and RA meetings end. Are you ready, Pastor Ron? You know what I'm going to say, right? Keep coming back. It works. It works. You work it. You're worth it. So keep coming back. Peace and gratitude, everybody. This is Kathy Barrett signing off from Behind the Curtain. 